Welcome to the 41st episode of Dialogica, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Sweden Lee, and my regular partner in crime, Stephanie Tankilisan, is out for the count this week with an incredibly sore throat and fever. Hello, this is currently my voice because I can't really talk right now. Um, so stay hydrated and rest well, Steph. I've got you covered this week. So with Steph out, we unfortunately don't have a new conversation for you this week, even though there's been a lot of exciting things that have happened recently, such as the Women's March, happening all throughout the country this past weekend here in America. Shout out to everyone who marched, wherever you are, and supported the movement and continued the momentum into 2018. There's a lot of work still to be done, but it's definitely a good start to the year. Speaking of protests, for this week's episode, we're actually going to play for you the most listened to episode of 2017 with over 350 lessons and rising. It's our 26th episode, Kartini Kendeng, Indonesia's own water protectors, where we talked about the amazing female farmers of Kendeng in central Java who have bravely risked their lives and their livelihoods to protest the invasive mining activities of cement companies in their region, which threatens to damage and hurt the community and environment for generations to come. We talked about their incredible feet cement protest, where they encased their feet in cement for days on end in front of the presidential palace in order to get the attention of President Jokowi and his ministers and get them to do something about the issue. So you'll hear from some of these amazing women during their protest in late March last year. The reason why we're playing this episode again is because we figured for some of our newer listeners, they might not have had the opportunity or chance to listen to this episode yet, and we're really proud of this episode, and we definitely want to support and continue to support the women of Kandung, the farmers in Kandung, and their fight against encroaching capitalism in their home. It's a really important issue, and whenever we get the chance to spread awareness about it, we definitely want to do that. And I think for us, echoing what we said in the episode later, we've only got one homeland in Indonesia, and it's one of the most beautiful places. I mean, we're biased, but it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And if we don't protect it, nobody will. Not the government, not corporations. So I think listening to the story of Busukina and some of the women from Kendang, it's really inspiring and thought-provoking. And we hope that you listeners, as you listen to this story again, if you've heard it before, or if you're listening to this for the first time, that you'll be inspired and you'll share the story with your friends and family, and hopefully we can do something about this. So, with that in mind, here's to it. background on this issue to those who are not that familiar about it yet i think um it is a pretty niche topic for Mm -hmm. our outside listeners or people who are not in the activism space in indonesia currently i mean even people in indonesia i think might not know the intricacies of the story so we want to really make sure to provide the context as much as we can Mm -hmm. and as 
with the best information and knowledge that we do know. A lot of these protesters are coming from the Kandang region, which encompasses villages such as Rambang and Pati. Um, they're mostly farmers who tend to grass fields, rice paddies, in order to feed their livestock. And they're heavily dependent on their natural surroundings, in particular their natural water resources. And a lot of these farmers have been farming in this land for generations, so this is really the only life they know, right? And the, yeah, and this is the only way they can provide for their family. This struggle started in July 2014 when PT Semen Indonesia, the largest cement company in Indonesia and a state-owned enterprise. So for some of you American listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of state-owned enterprises, um, so it's basically a company built by the government, right? And so oftentimes they differ based on how much stake the government owns or if mm-hmm. they're already, you know, listed in the stock exchange market. So even though they're supposed to be an enterprise, which is to look for profit, they also are usually in spaces like infrastructure, like railroads, electricity, energy, um, usually sometimes public good type things that are for the greater good of the people that corporations might otherwise, you know, not provide or provide at a very high price. I mean, a lot of countries do this, right? Because they know that the government itself cannot always fulfill the needs of the market. Mm -hmm. They need some sort of enterprise entity to do it. So this is hardly anything new. Yeah, and it's actually very popular in China. China SOEs are a big part of how China really grew really fast. Mm -hmm. And um, usually these kind of companies have a lot of weight in terms of like legislative authority. And there's a minister for state-owned enterprises, Rini Sumarno, who's one of the more powerful ministers. So the state-owned enterprise minister is one of the most powerful ministers in the country. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so they came in to this area uh, in 2014 to conduct a feasibility study to build new factories and processing plants in the area. And from the beginning, the farmers of Kanang rejected this idea and started, you know, a legal appeals process in order to stop them from entering the area. Just mm-hmm. because the nature of a cement factory, it, you know, destroys karst or like this geological formations to take as a raw material for cement. Mm-hmm. And actually, right, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. Kanang is known for its deposits of karst, which yeah. is itself very valuable also for the local farmers because that's a water source. Yeah. It's a porous type of rock that contains a lot of healthy water, mm-hmm. which the farmers need for farming, etc. So yeah. it's not just about wanting to stop the cement company from building stuff. They also need this formation. So from 2015 onwards, right, a year after Petasaman Indonesia has come into the scene, a lot of these farmers started doing really active protests, including erecting tents in front of the residence of the central Javanese governor Ganjar Pranowo, who had given licenses and permits to Petasaman Indonesia. The farmers of Kandang also um, lobbied their case to local courts, which eventually led their case to be heard in the Supreme Court. In April 2016, the group of female farmers which then the media started calling Kartini Kandang, uh, walked for three days from where they live in Rambang to Jakarta in order to conduct their first ever cement protests. Mm-hmm. So one thing as well is that they're often called the Kartini of Kandang. The reason for that is that this area of villages includes Rambang, where the regency from which the husband of Kartini was regent of. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, there's like kind of this history about Kartini being from that area, and these protesters are primarily led by women. For Indonesians, being called the Kartini means that you're a national hero, a feminist hero, a person who fights for the empowerment of women. And mm-hmm. I don't think they usually reference themselves as Kartini. It's, yeah. it's a name that's bestowed to them. And it's bestowed with a certain sense of admiration, yeah. right? Because they are fighting for rights and they are putting their lives and livelihoods on the line. Yeah. 
for justice and rights. Yeah. And this was really big news. Um, these nine female farmers had their feet encased in cement over the course of two days, right across from the presidential palace where President Jokowi lives. And then finally, after two days, Jokowi and the government gave a response, mm-hmm. um, telling them that, yes, you will have a meeting with the president. Mm-hmm. And so they had their cement blocks broken apart and they stopped the protest. Yeah. And after the meeting with the farmers, President Jokowi ordered an environmental study over the impact of cement mining in Kandang. And he also halted new licenses and permits from being issued. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the reality is the, the cement Indonesia on kept on doing so it. So right? what, what actually happened is Ganyat Bernal was like, okay, these, these previous things are all cancelled. And then he just issued new ones. That's what he did. <laughs> He just ignored president, basically. Just like, you know what? Let's just start from scratch. No, he's just like, okay, I accept that these things are no longer valid, but I will just issue new ones. Mm -hmm. That's what he did, which is like, the moratorium means to stop. Like, also in 2016, that their camp that they built and, you know, they protested at was burnt by local law enforcement. And this was a big thing because they've been squatting there for three years. Mm -hmm. And it's just burnt. Like, it's just really crazy to me how heartless people are like to our own people Mm -hmm. and i think big part of this is like the contradiction between a government that always says oh we want to support you know the poor the farmers of indonesia but then turn around and do these kind of things It's a long history of legal tussle, physical tussle, to -hmm. get us to this point in March Mm -hmm. when the second ever cement protest started. We are right now recording on Wednesday, March 22nd. I know, we procrastinated. So Wednesday, March 22nd, nine days after the protest started, which started last week on Monday, March 13th. So I'm currently in front of Monas, the National Monument of Jakarta. Also, it's also located in front of the Presidential Palace. Here we have over 20 people, um, 20 farmers from Kandang Rambang in Central Java, protesting against the um, protesting against the injustices they're facing with the forcible land takeover and removal of their um, land for a cement factory. So you were actually there on Thursday and Friday, so you got to witness how people actually started the Feed Cement protest. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? How they did it? Every day they add around 10 people whose feet, you know, will also be encased in cement. And um, when I was there on Friday and Thursday, um, they already had about 50 to 60 people whose wow. ha- their feet was in, you know, blocks. So first each individual's calves and feet are wrapped in gypsum in order to protect their skin from cement which is like it stings like it's not a passive thing because i thought that it would be painless it's just heavy no there's like a good amount of like burning sensation that's going on because you're just not meant to have your feet encased in like 15 kilograms of cement no yeah so (laughs) essentially volunteers mix cement from at the cement in Egypt, the, the cement factory brands that the, the are, one that the farmers yeah, are opposing. The farmers are opposing. They mix it in front of the presidential palace, and like they freshly mix it, and then they like put this in the wooden box that creates a kind of like a casing for the feet and the gypsum. Mm-hmm. So they fill it. They kind of like shovel the cement 
into this casing to you know submerge the feet. I think I saw that they had their toes. Co- that's the only thing peeking. Yeah, out the of only the thing peeking out is like so the gypsum doesn't cover their toes, and this is on purpose so that um, the doctors and nurses can test the mobility of the farmers because otherwise they can't tell whether or not you know that the foot's still alive. Yeah, the foot's still alive. <laughs> And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of swelling that's going on as yeah, well. Like, sure. So the cement dries overnight, I think, um, depends on how much mixture of water there is. Mm-hmm. But each block weighs 15 kilograms or 30 pounds, which means that each individual has 30 to 60 pounds in total on their feet. Like, you cannot lift your feet with that much weight. That's so dangerous and so committed right this act of feet cementing i mean i talked to their nurse about this and she was telling me how if they're not you know being properly monitored they might you know lose feeling in their feet and and if it's not properly attended to lose their feet yeah like lose mobility in their feet Mm -hmm. so it has real physical risks yeah unfortunately we have some sad news which is that in the early hours of yesterday, March 21st. Uh, one of the protesters, Ibu Patmi, who's 48 from the village of Pati, suddenly had a heart attack and unfortunately passed away en route to the hospital. And she's the first casualty of the protest. Um, it's not exactly clear what what happened, um, and and whether, whether the- it's linked to um, the protest. And... Um, so at this point, she was going to go home because she was one of the first protesters who had their feet encased. And, um, no, she had her, sorry, she was, she had her feet encased on Thursday because I was actually there on the day that her feet were being encased. Oh, wow. So you saw it. Yeah. Cause I didn't realize this at first because there were so many of them. I didn't meet all of them, mm-hmm. but I took photographs of the day. Right. And then, so I posted an album of that and then a few of the activists were like, oh, like this is Ibu Padmi. This is, and this is a good photo wow. of her. So they like took the photo and repurposed it but yeah like so i met her and i took like portraits of her as well um so she had her feet encased on thursday i just realized this talking about it now it's it's so crazy mm-hmm. um she had one of the more sullen faces i think and she didn't really speak very much and and i i dug into some photos and i found a photo of her carrying the indonesian flag in pati protesting from the very beginning you know the cement factory wow so she's been in the struggle for a long time for a long time and i think just witnessing this in person i don't know how you felt seeing the photos Mm -hmm. um but to me i don't know it was definitely one of the most physical and visceral thing i've seen because just the commitment level it takes to do that i think it's just you can tell that these people are putting their lives on the line and their livelihoods on the line. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible to me the lengths they have to go to to get attention because I know and I think everybody knows if they're not doing something this physical and this intense that they would not get media attention. No. Um, and the turnout there was just... It, there wasn't that many people. Perhaps it's because like it's during the office hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in comparison to the women's march that we had, you know, it's, it's just a completely different feeling. The women's march was sort of like a celebration and um, you know righteous anger, and there was sort of a happiness there. Like here, it was just like kind of this painful feeling about how how sad it is to have the government that you love, the country that you love, ignore you and mm-hmm. your plight, right? And I just wish that it had a lot more people showing up for them because if like one tenth of the people that showed up for the women's march were here, I like I mean we'd be happy because um, 
you know, like I think it's important to show up for when it's not your personal issue is at stake. Totally. Your risk is not at stake. Like, sad to have like people with privilege being heard more. These people are having something like right next week that they need that will define the rest of their lives and livelihoods. Mm-hmm. You know. Ibu bisa ceritakan sedikit tentang kehidupan di situ. My life revolves around farming. Why do you, Yusufina, want to participate in this protest Because Mother Earth is like my own mother. If humans get close to humans, then the Earth gives birth to water, to plants, and will feed the creatures of Earth. How long do you want to stay protesting? So actually, you, Kate, talked to Ibusukina, but you yourself also talked to Ibusukina, right? Yeah, I was too shy to, like, actually... Record. Hit record. So, so I talked to Busukina, and being the first time it met her, I kind of felt awkward. Mm-hmm. And I had a few people from Women's March who were also there with me. Um, but one of the things we talked about trying to cheer them, I was like, "We're like, do you want a manicure?" City <laughs> folks. Just city folk, and she was like, and they're all just, they all just laughed at us, and they're like, oh, "Untuk apa lamba? Like, um, like what for? Like, yeah. they found the idea to be really funny and like kind of ridiculous. And we're just like, "We're sorry, we're city folk." Like, I'm glad they were at least not offended. And then she. It's like, oh, nggak apa-apa. Ya, wong kota, ya wong kota, ya wong desa, ya jadi wong desa. So what she's essentially saying is that like, it's okay for like city folk to remain city folk, and for people in the village to remain like from the village, like as long as city folk are not forced to be village folks, and village folks are not forced to be city folks, it's okay. Like there's a balance to be made there. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's anti-capitalist, but she wants. The natural order of things to like not be forced upon them. Yeah, I don't know. Like to me, like that little analogy kind of like made sense because she was like, she was talking about if you come to Kendeng or if you come like you see, even city folk would want to have the environment of the beautiful environment of Indonesia to be preserved because that's such a big part of our identity, and she wants to like also have that for the future of of generations, not just for her but for us, like mm-hmm. a city folk as well, you know.
you know, speaking about the community in Kandang and how this is their overarching philosophy, right? That we have to be responsible to the environment and we can't just throw away what Mother Earth has given us just for the sake of economic progress. Um, I did a little bit of historical research and discovered a very interesting... A very interesting part of Indonesian activist history that we don't really know about, which is the Samin community and movement. It started in the late 1800s by a Javanese farmer from the Kendeng region called Samin Surosentiko. So at this time, Indonesia was still under Dutch colonial rule, and the Dutch government has just taken ownership of all the natural resources that the local farmers depended on. Samian, as one of the farmers, was really unhappy with how the Dutch not only has taken ownership but also started imposing taxes to the locals who have been farming and using this land for hundreds of years. The Dutch. Yes. Never forget. So, in protest against the Dutch government, Samian started to preach. This is like the Boston Tea Party movement. Yeah, like an underground activist movement from the masses, right? Mm-hmm. He started to teach a uh, philosophy of non-violent civic resistance. Mm-hmm. So, not paying taxes. The OG know, Gandhi. <laughs> um, holding protests and demonstrations against the government, you know, really being anti-colonials and anti-capitalists because that was what's threatening the environment at this point. The movement became a larger community and Samin became an almost cult-like figure as the leader. And by the early 1900s, there were rumors that there are now 5,000 members in the Samin community. And of course, the Dutch began to fear Samin's growing influence. So in 1907, they exiled Samin and his followers to the city of Padang in Sumatra, a completely different island with a completely different landscape. And so, you know, basically in 1914, Samin died in exile and he never went back to central Java. But today, a hundred years, almost a century, more than a century after Samin's death, there is still the Samin community who still believes in nonviolence resistance for the sake of fighting for the environment. So I think it's important for us to discuss this issue and here the concerns of the people, yeah. right? I mean, these farmers are literally the backbone of our economy. They provide the food and resources that yeah. we need in order to grow as a mm-hmm. maturing democracy and maturing country. And so if we ignore their needs, and these are real needs and rights, where, like, what's the future, right? Like, where's mm-hmm. the future of the nation? I guess to add to what Sweden is saying is that I don't think like being for the environment is anti-economic growth. And even one of the primary organizers actually said in his oration that they are not against economic growth. Like it's just that they we need to make sure that it's done in a sustainable fashion in a way that doesn't erase the beauty of the environment for the future generations. And I think we need to you know take heed of that message. I think we as citizens of Indonesia need to protect our environment better mm-hmm. and support those who are doing the good fight, right? Because if we lose the environment, then we lose the very nature of our identity as Indonesians, I feel like. You know, we're, we live, we are lucky enough to live in one of the most biodiverse, lush, beautiful landscapes in the world. And we are risking it every day when we don't address these kind of issues. It's crazy to me, like how much time they have to spend, how much toil they have to suffer for their voices to even be heard by the president who won't even meet them. So that episode was published in late March of last year. It's been almost a year. Uh, what's happened since? I've got a few updates. So in May, a few months after that initial protest in late March, 
there was actually another feed cement protest, this time happening on the other side of the world, in the city of Heidelberg in Germany. About 40 German citizens protested on behalf of the Kunding farmers in front of the Heidelberg City Hall, with five protesters even going as far as doing the feed cement protest themselves in solidarity with the farmers. So this was done in conjunction to coincide with the general stakeholders meeting of Heidelberg Cement, a huge German cement company who is a majority stakeholder in PT Indo Cement, one of the Indonesian cement companies in question whose new factory and mining activities are at the core of what the Kending farmers are fighting against. There was also a member of the Kending organization who's fighting for this present at Heidelberg and participated in the protest as well. There was even a film screening across Germany in cities like Berlin and Cologne of a documentary about the situation in Kandung and the threats to the environment. So as you can see, there's a, a real interest to what's happening in Kandung, and the German citizens definitely feel like they have a say in this given that Heidelberg Cement is a German company, and they feel like in coming out in solidarity, they might be able to change a few things. Heidelberg Cement has actually come out in late April before all of this protest in Germany with a statement saying that the mining activities are not going to affect the water quality in Kundung, despite reports to the contrary from activists and other NGOs. And they even defended the building of the new Pate Indo Cement factory. So this was all happening in Germany in May. Despite all of that, it didn't really get a lot of international coverage nor Indonesian coverage. Um, and Heidelberg Cement definitely did not do anything as a result of those protests. Fast forward a few months after in September, the female farmers of Kandung actually came back to Jakarta again and did another protest in front of the presidential palace. This time, instead of defeat cement protests, they pitched up a huge blue tent and basically did a sit-in across from the palace. Many of the women were carrying Indonesian flags, and some even made speeches and spoke to the crowds who were there and reporters as well. Busukina, who we heard earlier in the episode, actually came back again and made an impassioned speech asking why hasn't the cement company stopped their destructive activities. At the same time all of this was happening in Jakarta, similar protests were also happening in Rembang, where a lot of these people are from, with farmers and activists continuing to protest the local government, especially the current governor of central Java, Ganjar Pranowo, and the cement companies. Even with all of the media coverage, even with all of the public protests and outcry, there still wasn't any tangible change from either the government or the cement companies throughout 2017. And now we're in 2018, and the issue doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. In fact, there is a gubernatorial election coming up in central Java that's going to happen in June, and Ganjar himself is going to be up for re-election, so he's definitely not going to be thinking about the Gundung farmers anytime soon. And it's going to be really difficult to cut through all the political noise and get more attention locally and internationally on what's happening to the Gundung farmers and their community. Realistically speaking, there's still a long road ahead, but Stephanie and I hope that in telling this story again and spreading awareness about what's happening, um, across our listeners both in Indonesia and abroad, we can continue to keep up the pressure on the Indonesian government, on corporations like Indosement, Heidelberg Cement, Cement Indonesia, and really make sure that the beauty of Indonesia can be experienced by future generations to come. 
we really hope that we're not going to sacrifice the beauty of our nation, the beauty of our country, and the nature that has given us so many resources and experiences and memories. And we're not just going to give all of that away to corporate capitalism, because then there will be no more nature to experience, no more nature to savor, and no future to Indonesia. So here's to the women of Kendung. And please share their stories to your families, friends, and loved ones. We really want to get this issue out to the greater public and continue to build up the support for what's happening on the ground against the cement companies. Anyways, hopefully by the next episode, Stephanie will feel better. And until then, see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and on Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!